0: crown him with many crowns the lamb is on his throne amen this is what we're singing about it's what we've been discussing for weeks and weeks and weeks that Christ is king in all of life over all the world and I just can't help but as we go through this series we're walking on Brown Brattleboro thinking Jesus is king over all of this he's king over your neighbors that don't believe on him he is God And we have been looking at his lordship, his preeminence in all of life. And in doing so, we're seeking to cultivate faith and trust that Christ is king. And I want my life in every arena to match this reality. That I don't have a compartmentalized life where Christ is king over my Sunday mornings or over my devotional time. But I've got somehow a life that's divorced from his lordship. So we have been looking at him being king over us individually and our families, and now we're moving into his kingship over his church. And this morning we're looking specifically at worship. Now, you heard it in the call to worship. Everyone is a worshiper. The gods of the nations are worthless idols, but the nations who do not know God have worthless idols because mankind was made for worship. So everyone is a worshiper. It's just a matter of who or what you worship. And if people reject God, they will seek to give themselves in worship to whatever they feel like transcends them or whatever they love the most. And so uh, if you have a Bible, turn with Hebrews chapter 12 As I was studying worship this week, I was thinking, man, it's probably helpful to come up with a working definition for us of what worship is. And so I want to offer to you that biblical worship is offering God an acceptable sacrifice from the heart in humble, all filled adoration of Him, it's offering to God something. You, it's a service of worship, but it's not just these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It is offering God a sacrifice from the heart, and the posture is of a creature before its creator who has been humbled and is filled with adoration for him. That's why Jesus says the whole law is fulfilled in this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And then in service to him, it looks like loving your neighbor. I'm offering him something, but it's laden with adoration for him. And so real practically, these sacrifices of worship, sacrifices of praise, you you offer your fear to something Whatever you fear more than God, you are worshiping in that moment. We offer things our love, and whatever we love more than we love God, we are worshiping in that moment. We trust things more than God, and whatever we trust is what we worship. And ultimately, the sacrifice we're talking about is us. We offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices with humbled adoration of who he is. So worship is a right and a faithful response to beholding the God who is holy. This is where worship starts. We see God as he is, and we have an appropriate response. And it looks like worship. The words of Christ, when he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, the enemy is tempting him to worship him or other things, just like he does to all of us. And the words from Christ's mouth are, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That is binding on all of his creation. It is not just for the Israelites. He is declaring over all of his creation, as he has from the very beginning You were made for me, and you shall worship the Lord. He is God, him only shall you serve. And praise his name, all of scripture and all of history culminates in people who have been redeemed from every tribe and tongue and language and nation around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping him day and night, serving him. Jesus also said in John 4 that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And get this, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I think that could be one of the most eye-opening realities for us this morning is that God the Father is seeking true worship. Now the problem for us is that the passage that we're getting to, it, it ends or we're culminating today in, let us then, because of these things that we're going to look at, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let's offer to Him, the, the word is, well-pleasing Worship. And so it stands to reason that is written because it is possible for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to offer him worship that is not acceptable, that is not pleasing to him. And I think sometimes we we know positionally Christ has declared us righteous and we have been forgiven of our sins. And so I think sometimes we may think that everything then from there is pleasing to God. Because Christ is pleasing to God and I'm in Christ and so therefore everything I do must be pleasing to God. But the teaching of scripture is that even, yes, we have been positionally justified by faith in Christ and forgiven of our sins. It is possible to live a life that is not pleasing to God. To offer him worship, listen to this, that he rejects. To have moments like the prophet Amos saying, take away your, your solemn assemblings and your worship gatherings. Your sacrifices, I, stop bringing them to me. There's sin in the camp. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not doing acts of justice. Stop. So our problem, or our great danger, is offering him worship that is not acceptable, not worthy of him. Now, this begins, I think, by not seeing him as he is. And then living life instead by what we can see. So we know without faith it is impossible to please God. So our worship must be laden with faith, right? Because faith is what is pleasing to him. So faith is the conviction of what cannot be seen. So if we are not beholding God with eyes of faith, then we will be living instead by what we can see. When we don't see God as he is in his holiness, we will inevitably have a low view of God and a heightened view of God of ourselves. And then we worship him with that. Or when we don't see God as he is in his holiness, we give our hearts to lesser things. We start fearing or trusting or loving other things. Sharing our worship so that when we come to God, we've already shared the worship that he is worthy of with other lesser things, and then we give him what is left over. Or when we don't see God as he is in his holiness, we develop a casual or a familiar approach to God. And I think for some of us that have walked with God for some time in the room, this may be your greatest danger. You have become so familiar with God that unwittingly, if we haven't been coming to his word with eyes of faith and we're so familiar with it, then we may come to him with a casual approach or a wrong understanding of grace that has somehow brought him down and form-fitted him into our own image. We are in danger of profane worship. Profane means treating what is holy as though it is common or unholy. It's the word that's used for Esau, that see to it that no one is unholy like Esau. But even if we are not unholy, we have danger of our worship being unholy. And there are stark instances in the Old Testament where certain individuals had an elevated view of themselves and a view of God that was not worthy of God. And so you can think about Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when the Ark of the Covenant is stumbling and no one was allowed to touch the Ark except for this specific sect of the Le- Levitical priesthood. And The oxen stumble and the ark falls and Uzzah goes, oh, I don't want it to touch the ground. And then God smites him. Because God is holy and Uzzah was not. The holiness of God is dangerous to what is not holy. You can see it again with Aaron's sons. They got struck dead for offering God fire that they had started instead of fire sent from heaven. God cares how we approach him, how we worship him. We come to him as he has prescribed and he will not be worshipped by, by your own means, by your leftovers, by the, the concessions that we have made. To, well, at least I'll give him this and he understands. And Aaron is told not to grieve. Moses says to Aaron in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. This is what God is saying. I will be regarded as holy by those that draw near me. And so that's our main focus today as we go to Hebrews is that God is holy and he alone is worthy of our worship. And so let's pray and ask this holy God to speak to our hearts and help us to offer him acceptable worship. Father, you are the only holy God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and quicken our hearts to your word, that it would be united by faith in those that hear and that we would see you with the eyes of our hearts and worship you accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 12. It's only fitting with Eric in Hebrews chapter 12, Last week, talking about the Father's good discipline of his children, that we continue in Hebrews chapter 12 as we talk about the church's worship. So we pick up in verse 18. The writer of Hebrews says, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus The mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, God is holy, he's worthy of our worship and we are going to walk through this passage and it's going to build on itself of what we must do to offer this holy God acceptable worship. And the first is we must recapture a conscious awareness of the holiness of God. We must recapture a conscious awareness of the holiness of God. Now remember the context of this passage is the listeners being sure that they've obtained the grace of God. If they are spiritually out of shape, if, if they're spiritually weak, they've been charged to strengthen yourselves in God and to be sure that they've obtained the grace of God and to pursue holiness in the fear of God. And the question is, why? And we see in this first section of 18 through 22, it's because God is holy. The holiness of God refers to the otherness of God. That is his by virtue of being the creator God. He is all that he is alone. There is no one like him in heaven and on earth. He is pure perfection. You think about the holiness of God. It it does refer to his moral purity, but it also refers to he is completely righteous and pure and holy in all that he is. There is no one who loves like him, so he is holy in his love. He's holy in his righteousness. Jesus is holy in his grace and in his humility. In all that God is, he sits alone as the creator, and he is majestically transcendent above all that he has made. And the writer of Hebrews, when He's calling us to attention to this holiness. He calls us to the manifestation of God's presence at the giving of the law. So we would consider the holiness of God. And so you can look at this It's referring back to Exodus 19 and 20. But listen to the language. In verse 19, there was a terrifying voice. So the picture is this Mount Sinai covered with smoke and fire and This trumpet's getting louder and louder and the people are terrified by the voice of God and they're begging, Moses, please, you go talk to God, please. We can't bear to hear the voice of God anymore, Moses, please. Verse 20 is terrifying holiness, the complete unapproachability of God. Three times in Exodus 19, they're told not to come near the mountain The latter two explicitly stating, lest the Lord break out against them. And that word for break out is the same thing that God did to Uzzah. He broke out against Uzzah. And if anybody came near the mountain, God would strike them dead because God is holy and we are not. And to approach this holy God in an unworthy way as creatures to the creator is like straw coming near fire. It will not survive they actually, the people were so terrified because they were commanded, if anybody goes near and approaches it and they come back near you, they're carrying the holiness of God and they would treat it like the rel- Pharisees would treat a leper and they were to stone that person with rocks or shoot them with an arrow just so that they wouldn't come near the people because they would, con- everybody who touched the holiness of God in an unworthy way had to be put to death and it terrified the people, even if a beast Even if an animal got near the mountain, they had to be put to death. So there's a terrifying voice, terrifying unapproachability. And verse 21 says, terrifying sight of God. Moses, so terrifying was the sight. Now you listen to this and it sounds like I think of more fearful expressions than I tremble with fear. Like Moses was so terrified that he says, I tremble with fear. But this language for trembling with fear is The other place that it is referenced is when Peter sees Jesus transfigured and he's so scared out of his wits is what it means. He starts, Jesus, we'll start building booths for all you guys and the voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son, listen to him. So this language is Moses was scared out of his mind. Verse 19 Um, Chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 18 says, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And so did Moses. And so the next chapter in Exodus 20, it says, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. That's going to be important. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So this is the setting of God giving the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to show us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Remember, the law was given so that sin might be shown to be exceedingly sinful. And God accompanied this giving of the law that would showcase his holiness and our sinfulness by this devastating appearance that made sinful creatures cower in fear. God is holy and we are not. So we have to, we have to recapture this conscious awareness of the holiness of God. We could go to countless places in the Bible where we see this devastating effect of the sight of God. Eric referred to some of them last week. Every time you see people encountering the holiness of God in their creatureliness, they fall down on their face like dead men. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. See, Jesus, the resurrected Christ showing up to Paul on the road to Damascus, he's blinded and put on his face. The very last chapter of the Bible, John sees an angel blazing in the angel's holiness a creature and John who walked with Jesus for three years and just got this huge revelation from Jesus tries to worship the angel because of how holy and other and different this created being was. And the angel goes, don't do that. So the question is, do we see God with the eyes of our hearts as he truly is? We have to recapture a conscious awareness of the holiness of God. But we must believe, too, that we've been brought near to this God. Look now at verse 22 of Hebrews 12. We must believe that we have been brought near to this God. But you have come to Mount Zion. Saying, you've not come to Mount Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, at first reading, you might think that this tapers down our fear of God because they came to Mount Sinai, and it was all dark clouds and smoke and It was scary, but now we've come to Mount Zion, it's just like light and happy and Jesus has forgiven you and so it's just not as fearful, it's not as awesome. But the writer of Hebrews is actually making the exact opposite point. This is not less fearsome or less awesome, but more so. It is more glorious and more transcendently majestic than Sinai. The way that Paul writes about this in Second Corinthians chapter three, in verse nine through eleven, Paul says, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's the ministry of the law. The law came to condemn us in our sins so that we would find out we needed a savior, right? Lead us to Christ. So if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So translation and what the writer of Hebrews and Paul agreeing are saying, this is so much more glorious, it makes that look like there was no glory at all. The, the sight that was so terrifying that made Moses trembled out of his mind, the voice that made them plead that God not speak to him. We're talking about something way more glorious and weighty to put us on our face. The weight of glory at the giving of the law terrified the people, but we have come to something infinitely more glorious. We've not come to the law, but to grace. This is infinitely more weighty than even the law. You've not come to God's temporary presence on a mountain that was unapproachable, but you have, listen to this, right now, come to Zion. This will put you in the fear of God. Right now, he says, you have come and you are with Christ in the heavenly places in Zion. You live your life in the company of angels. You live your life in the witness of, of the church made perfect through all the ages it's the cloud of witnesses right there with you in the heavenly places we live in the presence of the church and he says you have come not only to the these innumerable angels and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect but you have come to god the judge of all the one whose presence at the top of sinai made the whole mountain earthquake and smoke and people fled away. But you have been brought to him. And how? How have we come to all of this? That which no one could even glimpse at. God says no one can even see my face and live. They had to flee from the presence of the mountain. How can we have come to this? Well, because he says in verse 24, you've come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You have come to Christ, your mediator who intercedes for you on the basis of his perfect sacrifice. And it's like it's progressing from glory to glory to glory. You've come to God and the radiance of the glory of God is Christ. And at the heart of the glory of Christ is the cross of Christ where he offered himself in the place of unworthy sinners We who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Jesus traveled through the heavens and with his own blood sprinkled the mercy seat so that now on the very throne of God, the blood of Christ cries out for you, mercy. This one is mine. We have been brought near to God and this is breathtaking, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has paid for you to have a seat at the table where now he did not bring God down to make him less fearsome, less awesome, less holy. He brought you up so that you could live in the presence of a God who is perfect in all of his ways and righteous in all of his works. Christ died the just for the unjust so that what? He might bring us to God. God is holy and Christ has brought you to this God. And this is cause for even greater fear than they experienced at Sinai. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter one, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal, feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So get this, the God who cannot be touched, who no one can look on his face and live, the sound of his voice would make you plead that someone else be a mediator, somebody else go in between. He has provided forever and for all time that mediator in the person of Christ. And he offered this untouchable holy God offered his holy son in your place so that you might dwell with him in his presence and he might bring you near so that you are right now Ephesians 2 says seated with Christ in the heavenly places Sinai had become a place where heaven touched earth but now if you're in Christ your spirit becomes a place where heaven touches earth where you have been raised with him and now are seated with him at the heavenly places. We are there right now, even as we're here. And I've been praying for you that you would have this moment like Jacob had at Bethel where you say, God was in this place and I knew it not. Everywhere, always, with me and I'm with him. And so where does that, where does that lead us to? It's the last. So we, we must recapture a conscious awareness of the presence of God and we must believe by faith that we have been brought near to this God who is holy and last, we must fear God and offer him acceptable worship. We must fear him. So first, the writer of Hebrews states this negatively. This is what it does not look like to fear God. We do not refuse him or his warning. Look at verse 25. So in light of all this, right, this is what he has done for those who have placed their trust in him. He's this holy, holy, holy God. And he has brought us near to live before his face in the presence of his holiness. So see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He ends the passage by saying, Our God is a consuming fire. Now, listen, God will not consume those who are in Christ because he consumed Christ in your place. So, everywhere Hebrews teaches about the perseverance of the saints and how those who have truly placed their trust in Christ have been given the Holy Spirit of God and he puts in them a motor to pursue God and to seek God in his holiness. But these letters are written to assemblies of people who have gathered who all profess the name of Christ. And we know that in gatherings like this, often there are people who are truly followers of Christ And there are those who profess Christ with their lips and attend church with their bodies, but their hearts are far from Him. They have yet to truly believe on Christ and surrender to Him in His Lordship. And so he writes, make sure that you are not one of these people who you're refusing Him who is speaking. It may not look like you're refusing Him who is speaking because your body is still going through all the motions, but in your heart... You are rejecting the warning of God who warns from heaven. And he says he's about to shake the universe so that whatever is not rooted and grounded in Christ by faith will be shaken. It will be consumed by the God who is a consuming fire. And so what, what is this God speaking? Yes, in the, in the following verses he says, look, I'm about to shake the heavens. That's a warning. He's speaking that. I am about to shake everything. We know that he's going to set the fire to each man's works. Gold, silver, precious stone will stay in the fire, but everything that is shakeable, everything that is burnable is going to be consumed. And so be careful how you build. But he has also been emphasizing throughout the book of Hebrews, how God is speaking, how God is warning these listeners. So listen, just in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter three, take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's Hebrews three twelve through 14. Listen, this is what he's saying, not you can lose your salvation. He's saying those who have claimed Christ and have followed him by faith will hold fast their faith and their confidence in Christ to the end. They will be kept by the power of Almighty God. Of all that the Father gives to Christ, he loses not one of them. But... He uses his word and his conviction of his Holy Spirit to call us to himself. And he uses the negative of what believers do not do to cause believers to run from that, right? If, if those who profess Christ in name only fall away from the living God, he's saying, don't do that. Hold fast your original confidence firm to the end. Make sure that none of you are being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is lying to you. And we need brothers and sisters in our life that are helping us and encouraging us and exhorting us. This is a call to community if I've ever heard one. Every day, as long as it's still called a day. Make sure that you're surrounded by believers that are saying, let's go, he's worthy. Let's hold fast to our original confidence. Let's make sure there's not in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart. Let's all together go pursue holiness in the fear of God because that is what believers do. And everybody else falls away. Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or in this passage right before our text, Hebrews 12, 12 through 7, well, i will go through 14, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. That's what believers do. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you are not holy, if you do not pursue holiness, you will not see Jesus. But everyone who has placed their trust in Christ pursues holiness in the fear of God. Do you have seasons? Where you're not pursuing holiness? Yes. But the Father disciplines you. And it's for discipline that you must endure so that you can obtain the promises. So Hebrews is saying this God is the same holy God. And you have been brought to Him. Make sure that you actually have and that you're not refusing Him who is speaking. Watch your heart carefully and make sure you're not refusing him, and if you refuse him, like Esau did, who wanted God, wanted something else more than him, he was profane and unholy, and sold his birthright for immediate satisfaction, then it will be evident that you never knew him. And so this is, that's the negative. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. We're still talking about, we must fear God and offer him acceptable worship. So that looks like not refusing him who is speaking. We go to his word. We listen to his word. We pursue holiness and the fear of God. So instead of refusing him, this is our our last bit. We live before him with gratitude, reverence, and awe. We live before him lives of worship, with gratitude and reverence and awe. Instead of refusing His voice, we hear Him and with the eyes of our heart, we come here and we see Him. We talk about this often on the Emmaus Road, before Jesus dropped the cloak and revealed Himself to them personally, He revealed Himself to them in His Word first to exalt the primacy of the Word in the revelation of Christ. We go to the Word and we see Him and we don't refuse Him. And we know that He sees us. So ultimately... And to take away one thing from today. We talk about God being holy. We talk about living before him with gratitude and reverence and awe. It is a call to live coram deo. It's a Latin term that means before the face of God. To live your life as though you are really seated with Christ in the heavenly places in the presence of God. And for every moment of your life to be shaped by this reality. With a conscious awareness of living my life in the presence of God who is holy, I want to offer him a holy life. I want to offer him reverence and awe. This reverence is an awareness of him that produces fear to live morally pure and upright before him. It's, it's marked by a hatred of what is evil and a fear of dishonoring our heavenly father. So it's just kind of this low-grade reverence and fear that travels with us all the time like we're in the presence of God. And this is not some servile fear that is like a slave that's scared that its unjust master is going to just whip him or be unkind or unjust. This is the son, this is the fear of a son who fears his good father a kind father, but a father who is holy and firm and pure and right. I think 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 gets at the heart of this reverence because we're talking about a God who is holy and kind and he's promised us to be with us. As we are sanctified and he dwells with us. And so Paul writes them, since we have these promises of God dwelling with his sanctified people, beloved, so don't miss that, you are loved of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's what reverence is. Uh, I want to cleanse myself of defilement of flesh and spirit because I fear the Father's good discipline and I want to be like him. I want to I hate what he hates. And I want to love what he loves. I want to carry that in life because I'm seated with him in the heavenly places and I have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. I don't belong to myself anymore. So I want to pursue holiness in the fear of him. That's, that's reverence and this, oh, it's always closely tied to it. It's talking about this godly fear and This awe-filled submission. Jesus was heard because of his awe of God, his piety or his reverent submission. So this awe looks like because I love the Father, I do exactly what he's commanded me. I am in awe of you, of your grace, of your mercy, and I'm offering myself to you in reverent submission. So it is both this hatred of what is evil and this delighting in God and what is good and saying, I'm a living sacrifice. So the progression, in case you miss this, is what we're seeing. We want to see God as he is. This is where it all comes from. We see God as he is. It should be our everyday experience. I want to see God. And then I see myself as I am. This is that Isaiah 6 moment where Isaiah says, I am undone because God showed him his sinfulness in a moment. Praise his name. He shows us gradually so that you're not destroyed. But Isaiah sees himself in light of who God is in a moment and he's completely unraveled to his core. So we see God as he is. You see yourself as you are. You see Christ in his sprinkled blood. The fact that God is holy, but he's also brought us near to this God and he's made us clean, made us acceptable, made us to where we can go to him for mercy and help in time of need to this holy God. And then we respond with this undone adoration, this reverent submission to him, this is this awe component. (laughs) God, who is a God like you? I am yours. We run from sin and we press on to know him and to be found in Christ towards purity and faithful obedience. This kind of fear of God, this kind of reverent awe is cultivated in secret and then it's carried in life. So when I want to get away from this com- kind of compartmentalized sacred parts of your life versus these unholy or secular parts of your life that you have to get through so you can get back to the sacred parts when all of life belongs to Christ and he has sanctified it and made it to where everything you do can be an act of worship when it's done for the glory of God. Everything that you do done in the presence of God for the pleasure of God. That's what it means to live before the face of God. The late R.C. Sproul said to live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God, and that it was the essence of the Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian. You place your trust in Christ, he's brought you near by his blood, and now you live your entire life before the face of God. This is the thing that has helped me the most this week. Can I tell you how much my attitudes and my thoughts and my worship has been checked by just this one simple reality? I want to do this like I'm in front of the throne of God. Not as if I was, but because I am. Actually am. You get that. This captures, begins to capture what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord because we have been bought by the blood of Christ, because he has made our hearts a dwelling of his Holy Spirit, because he has adopted us as sons and daughters of God, and because we're seated with him in the heavenly places right now, then let's live our lives in the throne room of God with gratitude and with trembling. Whole life is just an offering of joyful gratitude you have planted me firmly in a kingdom that cannot be shaken when I was the most shakable thing possible I was dry kindling if there ever was any and he has ransomed me and rescued me and planted me securely in his kingdom that cannot be shaken and so we respond by saying I have yours God sanctify me in your truth I want to hate what is evil. I want to love what is good. I want to pursue holiness in the fear of you. I want to live and speak and act like I'm in the throne room of God, who is holy, and like we are his children. And so that's where I want to I wanna close. Just calling you to praying and asking God to well, first repenting of any low view of God, but then having a fresh moment of repentance to say, God, I want to live my life before you like I'm your child and I want to bear the family resemblance. So far from kind of creating serious stoic Christians who just kind of button things up to the top button or just kind of mean, this is, it creates holy and loving and kind people. People. It doesn't make us soft. makes us courageous and bold. But it means that when I'm talking to my wife, I'm talking to her as though I'm talk, having the conversation in front of the throne of God because I am. When I'm disciplining my son, I'm talking to him like I'm having the conversation before the sprinkled blood on the mercy seat because I am. When I work, the way that I pursue holiness, what I watch, what I set my mind on, when I come to the Bible, the way that I read, I'm coming to God in his presence, actually. When we sing together, we don't have listless, oh, I just might sing or might not, I just kind of don't feel like it, or like I wonder what else I got going on today and when can we get to the real part? We sing with the full throat of worship, not because we have good voices or because we ever sang before Christ, but because he has planted a joy in our hearts and he has brought us near and we are right now before his throne. We want to offer him acceptable worship from the heart. So remember where we started. God is holy, and He's worthy of us offering Him our lives as living sacrifices, offering Him acceptable worship that is marked by a fear of God. Living our lives coram Deo before the face of God with reverence and awe christ makes us acceptable to him and he who made us acceptable to him and opened a new and living way for us to draw near to him also makes our worship acceptable to him as he sanctifies us in his truth and so we come to him again and again and again let's pray father we thank you and praise you for your living word Thank you for giving us a window to see you so that we could behold you in your holiness and see where we have adopted a lesser view of you or an elevated view of ourselves, where we've been casual or familiar in our approach to you instead of trembling before you with fear and with gratitude, with reverence and awe. Lord, would you forgive us for compartmentalizing our lives and not living all of our life before you as a gift of worship. God, would you give us grace to be like the early church that walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And because they did, they multiplied. Lord, the cry of my heart is that you would give us grace to see you every day to live our lives in awe of you and to see ourselves as we truly are and that our lives would revolve around seeing you who are unseen and not by living according to the circumstances and the taskless and the things that we can see. Oh God, would you forgive us? Would you please purify us, a people, for your own possession? And let us live before you as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to you, our spiritual worship. In Jesus' name, amen.